Hi everybody, I'm Bill Schaefer with Mark Middleton, and every now and then we all need a shot in the arm, a a nudge to remind us that life is short. We need to get up, we need to get out, and live it while we have the chance. That attitude and this radio show are called Growing Bolder, and over the next hour you are going to hear inspiring stories from people who got off the couch and made their lives something special, the kind of stories that will lead you to believe that, yeah, you can do it too. Man, I can hardly wait. Uh, Today we're going to visit with one of the most interesting stars of the wildly popular series, Downton Abbey, the Earl of Grantham, to see if life does in fact imitate art, and then a revealing chat with a woman who took on the senior living industry to try to make a better life for those they serve. Also, we've got actress Vivica A. Fox, as she'll talk about why relationships can be so difficult to navigate. And then we're going to go for a ride with a 98-year-old behind the wheel for a lesson in gratitude. But first, we start with a man who may know more about the health of your brain and what you can do to improve it than anyone else alive. Amazing people, inspiring stories. This is growing bolder. Have you ever felt anxious, sad, angry, unmotivated, and have no idea why? Well, our next guest believes this happens to all of us and that there are some simple ways to fix it. Why are you looking straight at me when when you say those things? Well, he is an internationally renowned brain expert, and he has created the largest brain scan database in the world, so he really knows what he's talking about. And he's here with proven tips and ways to unlock potential that you never knew you had, from overcoming unexplained mood swings to fixing chronic pain. His latest book is Feel Better Fast and Make It Last. We always look forward to talking to Dr. Daniel Amen. How are you, Doc? I am awesome. How are you guys? You know, you always bring it, and that's why we are so grateful for your time, because so many people with chronic pain have tried it all, traditional medicine, gadgets, supplements, only to be left feeling hopeless. Yet you've had great success making a difference. What is everybody else missing? The brain. <laughs> it's you know it it starts there. It ends there. Your brain controls everything you do, and when it works right, you work right. And when it doesn't, you have trouble in virtually every area of your life. And and I think that is something that more and more people are starting to understand, and yet so few of us do anything about it. Is it that we don't know what to do? We're unwilling to, to make the sacrifice to do it? What, what are some simple steps that we can all undertake to help getting our brains more healthy? Well, we're actually working on the wrong paradigm. So I'm a psychiatrist by training, and I'm part of the only medical group that never looks at the organ it treats. And about 30 years ago, I went, well, that is stupid. We should be looking at it because when you look at it, you realize there are many things you do day in and day out that make it worse. There are many ways to give yourself a mental illness. And there are many ways to help it. If you put the brain in a healing environment, you can literally make it better tomorrow. And so the whole idea behind feel better fast and make it last is what are the things you can do today to put your brain and your mind and your relationships in a healing environment that work quickly? Because no one's ever come to me and say, hey, doc, I want to feel better slowly. Everybody wants to feel better fast. But the problem is they often go to their family doctor and in a seven-minute office visit, leave with a prescription for an antidepressant, an anti-anxiety medicine, sleep medication, and no one's ever told them about natural things they can do to help them feel better fast. And the problem with the medicine is once you start them, they're really hard to stop. And so feel better fast gives people another way to feel better in a way that lasts. And don't we have a tendency also, doctor, to think of mental health issues as an us and a them? Well, gee, I don't have it. It doesn't affect me. Where maybe it's more like physical health to where we could all stand to improve it. 
It's exactly like physical health. I hate the term mental illness. And I actually don't like the term psychiatrist because so many people go, oh, no, I'm not going. I'm not crazy. Um, But everybody wants a better brain. So what if mental health was brain health, just like you said, and then everybody would be all in? I did my I'm also a child psychiatrist and did my child psychiatry training in Hawaii. And most people don't know that Hawaii is an Asian culture, that if you're Caucasian there, you're actually in the minority. And in Asian cultures, they're shame-based cultures. So if you're having a problem, you don't talk about it. And people have to get so mentally ill before they'll go see someone. But they're also a culture that loves their children and will do anything to give them an edge. And so just changing mental health to brain health, well, everybody's all in because who doesn't want a better brain? Because with a better brain, you have a better life. We're talking with uh, internationally renowned brain researcher, Dr. Daniel Amen. And, and Doc, we actually interviewed uh, Margaret Trudeau not long ago, who has become, uh, you know, for lack of a better term now, and I hesitate to say it after what you said, a mental health advocate. But we mentioned that you've done probably more brain scans than anybody. And, and she said that, you know, once we started to be able to look at the brain and see the difference between a healthy brain and an unhealthy brain, it really went a long way to destigmatizing mental illness or uh, unhealthy brains. Do you, do you feel the same way? Absolutely. And it's clearly what happened with my patients. You know, as soon as they see their scan, their problem becomes medical and not moral. And uh, so it decreases stigma, increases compliance. The problem is a lot of researchers have done imaging. I mean, there are hundreds of thousands of imaging studies online. But Very few people are taking it to clinical practice where you're suffering with ADD, anxiety, depression, addiction, um, and your doctor is actually looking at your brain. I was horrified, and everybody was horrified when Sandy Hook happened in, you know, the mass shooting at that elementary school. And President Obama came out afterwards, and he said, more money for mental health. And in my head, I went, well, if you do more of what we're doing, you're going to get more of the same. That's actually the definition of insanity, that virtually all of the school shooters, including the Parkland, uh, Florida shooter, Nicholas Cruz, had seen mental health professionals. But no one has been looking at their brain. And because of that, we come up with these crazy theories about mental illness and mental health when these are brain-based disorders. And when your brain's not right, you do crazy, stupid, horrific things that somebody should be thinking about the brain. Because if you can make it right, you can actually help prevent some of these tragedies. Yeah, on Growing Boulder, Doc, we, we tend to focus on, on people 40 and over, 50 and over, and the changes that happen as we age. Are there things that, that we can all do, steps we can all take? You know, so People think that, that uh, dementia and things like that are a foregone conclusion. How do we stay healthy for as long as we can? So I'm 64, and I think about this every day um, because we just published a study on 62,000 scans. It's the world's largest imaging study on how the brain ages. And clearly, there are things you can do to accelerate aging, um, smoking, thinking of alcohol as a health food, smoking pot, age the brain worse than anything, um, having an untreated psychiatric problem like depression or ADHD or bipolar disorder. But at the same time, there are many things that decrease the age of your brain. Being serious about brain health, engaged in new learning, which is absolutely critical, changing your diet to one that is plant-based with many um, colorful vegetables and some fruit. So diet, exercise, new learning, simple supplements. I think everybody should take a multiple vitamin, um, high-dose, high-quality fish oil. Check your vitamin D level. In the book, I go through what I call my bright minds approach 
on these are the things to avoid if you don't want to get dementia, and these are the things to do if you want to keep your brain sharp. Doc, you've had about a half dozen books on the New York Times bestseller list. Can you give us a 20-second takeaway about life in general? I mean, you're a guy who lives it. You understand it. What would you like everybody to know in general about living a successful life? Well, it starts with knowing what you want. Um, So there's an exercise in the book called The One-Page Miracle. What do you want in your relationships, your work, your money, your physical, emotional, and spiritual health? What do you want? And then you ask yourself every day, does my behavior get me what I want? And if it doesn't, it could have been when you played football in the past and you hit your head repeatedly and damaged your brain. Well, that's impairing your ability to get what you want. We look at the brain and then we go about healing it. And that's how you get your best life. Well, for a guy who studies minds, he's one of the brightest out there, folks. His book is called Feel Better Fast and Make It Last, raising the bar for others in the medical field to follow along because he's out there on the front lines with fresh and practical advice for conditions that affect so many. More at DanielAmonMD.com. Our thanks to Dr. Amon. Up next, the power of purpose. We'll spend time with a 98-year-old who overcame poverty and prejudice and never lost her love for life. This is Growing Boulder. Support for Growing Boulder provided by... Located in West Orange County, Orlando Health's Health Central Hospital is a full-service hospital with an accredited chest pain center and heart failure program, as well as top-rated neurospine and orthopedic programs. Learn more at orlandohealth.com. And by... The Legacy Life Project from Macbeth Studio, preserving family history, stories, and memories for generations to come by creating personal video biographies of your loved ones. Everyone has a story worth preserving. LegacyLifeProject.com. I'm Bill Schaefer with Mark Middleton here on Growing Bolder. And if you want to feel more fulfilled, find a way to give your life more meaning. Find a purpose. Having purpose can have a profound effect on how motivated you are, how alive you feel, and how you deal with the challenges as you age. Annie Peters has had a hard life, but at 98, she still worked, still lived alone, and was still able to drive a car. And most of all, she loved life as much as ever. She made 90 look good. You know, she shared her extraordinary life journey with us from washing dishes for the legendary writer Zora Neale Hurston to surviving decades after the death of her husband to giving back to the people of Eatonville, Florida, the historic African-American town that was her community. And what's it like to be 98? Well, you know, a lot of people ask me that. I don't see any difference in uh, sometime I think I'm 15. <laughs> they say, girl, don't you know how old you are? You're trying to do this or you're trying to do that? I just love to work. I'm a workaholic, you can say. As long as I'm working, I feel real good, you know? I don't feel bad at all. I could work all day from nine to five and don't feel a pain. Boy, let me come home. (laughs) After I get off from work, then I can feel it, you know? But as long as I'm working, I'm fine. So you're born in 1920. And, and, and you've lived much of your life in Eatonville, Florida, the town that's famous for Zora Neale Hurston. That's right. Did You never met her, did you? Oh, yeah. I met Zora. I used to go to her house and wash her dishes. And she'd give me a dime, and boy, that meant so much to me. A dime was a lot of money back then. <laughs> Has it been tough for you uh, financially since your husband passed? I've had my days. I mean, who hasn't? Sometimes they just make ends meet, you know, with prices the way they are. Social Security gives me a little bit. If I wasn't making a little on the side, I I, I couldn't make it. No walker, no wheelchair? No, No walker, no wheelchair. No 
can. You hop in your car and off you go. There you go. That's me. Are you a good driver? I think so. Because <laughs> my pastor got up in church and uh, said, Miss Peters, will you please stop driving so fast in front of everybody? So I've been trying to slow down. You know, I would like to be in a speed race. <laughs> I, I would love that. You're in your car at 98 years old, picking up other people to give them rides mm -hmm. to church, yes, rides right. to their programs. Mm -hmm. You're volunteering in nursing homes where most of the people are younger than you. Right. Most of them, all of them are. <laughs> A lot of people probably, when they ask you how old you are, they shake their head in disbelief. Does it bother you? Do you kind of get tired of people assuming that because you're a certain age, you're probably... You know, a lot of time I ask them, I say, well, how is a 98-year-old uh, person supposed to be? What do you think about them? Uh, but you just ain't like no 98-year-old person. I said, well, how are they supposed to be? How is it? Nobody ever can tell me. Everybody wants to be like me. Miss Peters, I want to be just like you when I grow up. I said, why wait till you grow up? Why don't you start now? Annie lives like she doesn't have a care in the world. We were stunned to find out that she does. Just a few weeks before this interview, she was diagnosed with cancer. Well, they say they found a spot on my kidneys. Anyway, I told them I didn't want them to cut on me at this age of the stage of the game. So they said, uh, wasn't nothing else they could do. Do you think about death? Do you think about... I, she started me thinking about it, you know. I said, I hadn't even thought about it. I say, I'm going to live until I die. I'm not going until my time come. So why why uh, worry about something you have in, no control over? What are the things that you see through 98-year-old eyes that the rest of us, that you wish the rest of us would figure out? How beautiful the world is. A lot of people say, boy, this is mean old world, but it's only mean if you make it mean, you know? If uh, you have good thoughts about it, then it's a nice place to be. So what do you hope we learn from you, uh, from your attitude? You're no older than you feel. Just don't think about it. But that's the way I am. I just don't think about it. I just go on and do my daily work, do my daily And I get along fine. I guess I'm kind of special. <laughs> wow, her passion for living life on her terms and savoring every second that life has to offer really is an inspiration, you know, whether you're 28, 98, or anywhere in between. Even as she faced cancer, her outlook not only was optimistic, but most of all, it was joyful. Up next, being successful at work does not always mean being happy in life. Actress Vivica A. Fox will share her story of persistence. This is Growing Boulder. Support for Growing Boulder provided by... The Center for Health and Well-Being. Coming soon in Winter Park. Wellness, fitness, and medicine together in one convenient location. Offering programs and services to promote healthy living and positive aging. More at yourhealthandwellbeing.org. Check out Growing Boulder TV, airing on public television stations nationwide. Visit growingboulder.com slash TV for program listings and where to watch. In a soldier stance, I aim my hand at the mongrel dogs who teach. You're listening to Growing Boulder. I'm Bill Schaefer. We're going through an era right now where people are more divided than ever. It kind of makes you wonder, what do we all have in common? And the answer is we all have struggles, 
challenges that may seem insurmountable. So how do we face them? Well, we listen to the stories of others who are willing to share, to motivate, to inspire. You know, that's a great point, Bill, and an awesome way to introduce our next guest because she's been called the hardest working woman in show business with far too many excellent movie and TV credits to mention. But for someone as popular and well-liked as she is, her life has been anything but easy. One of the best things about her is that she is a motivational tour de force, as is revealed in her autobiography called Every Day I'm Hustling, and in a new film on the Lifetime Movie Network called The Wrong Friend. Let's say hello to Vivica A. for Anjanetta Fox. Vivica, how you doing? <laughs> I'm excellent. Thank you so much for that beautiful introduction. When was the last time someone called you Anjanetta? Oh, my gosh. It's been a while, to be honest with you. My nickname from Anjanetta is Angie. So sometimes I do hear Angie Fox, but not often. Everyone's kind of uh, gotten used to Vivica Fox. Well, thanks for your time. Uh, you are as busy busy as ever. Your star couldn't be shining any brighter. And from what we all hear, and I think from what we can tell by the tone of your voice, it couldn't happen to a kinder, more caring person. You are the producer and the star of the new movie, The Wrong Friend, about somebody who finds out the guy she's been seeing isn't exactly who she thought she was. That it's close, unfortunately, to a lot of people. Tell us a little bit about the film. Agreed. Um, I'm a producer of this movie, and I star alongside Michael Parry, Lee Eubanks, Jared Scott, and Galen George. And it's a sexy thriller uh, that's going to actually kick off a marathon of films that I've produced and starred in for a lifetime called The Wrong Franchise. And like you said, The Wrong Friend is when you think you meet that a new friend, and they turn out to be oh so wrong. Um, so I, I, it's a sexy thriller that um, I produced, and it's directed by David Takato. You know, with all that's worked and it's out, about our eighth film together. It's amazing, you know, uh, watching the movie, because with so much that's worked out well with you, you've also had a difficult time with relationships. Now, from producing the wrong, you know, (laughs) from producing this movie, the wrong friend, and from your own life, are there things that? Are there things that you've learned that you wanted to pass along in this film? Oh, absolutely. You have to make sure. The one thing I think I've learned in having bad relationships and having some of them publicly is that you just have to make sure that you take the time to get to know someone. Make sure that someone is who they really say they are because when you meet someone it's always the honeymoon phase and you know they that I call it their agent shows up for the first 3 months and then about that fifth and six months, all of a sudden the real person shows up. So don't jump into the shallow end of the pool head first. Make sure you take the time to uh, have a person, to get to know a person before you not only bring them into your lives, but into your family's lives. Uh, we're talking with Vivica A. Fox, and I think Vivica, a lot of people, we're starting to understand how difficult it is to make it in Hollywood. But but here you are, uh, a woman in your mid-50s, a black woman uh, who is an attractive woman in the era of the Me Too movement. Uh, we had Debbie Allen on this program not long ago, and she talked about having to overcome sexism, racism, and, and now ageism, uh, things that I'm certain you have been confronted with throughout. How do you keep going? How do you maintain your attitude and continue to be accepted? as successful as you are? Well, um, like you said, you know, we're we're in a tough business. We really are. And I just wrote a book called Every Day I'm Hustling, where I share a lot of my secrets of success, learning how to gracefully go into new chapters of your life. Um, You have to understand that it's all about chapters. And for me, I found out that versatility has equaled the key to my success, to make sure that you do different things. I do stage. I do hosting. I do uh, movies. I have my own hair collection. You've got to make sure you have versatility so that you can gracefully go into new chapters. Um, Now I have a new talk show out. I'm also hosting. I have a new talk show out called Face the Truth, executive produced by Dr. Phil. Like when one chapter is over, as my daddy used to tell me, when a chapter is over, learn to put a period on it and turn the page. And in going through those chapters, make sure that you treat people good because you never know one day who may hire you and who you may need to get a job from. You know, here you are. This, this, is, this is exciting because this didn't always happen to where you're getting these opportunities now that, that in the past, you know, somebody at a certain age starts to see less and less. Do you feel the clock ticking or do you intend to just push right through as hard as you are now? 
be very honest with you. Right now, my clock is is is, is I, some days I don't have enough time for uh-huh. all the stuff that I have going on, and that's because I have an excellent team, and that's what I talk about in my book. That I said, learn to be build yourself a dream squad. People that see different chapters and different opportunities for you that you didn't even see yourself. But you've got to learn to get people around you that believe in you, that support you, and that don't take away from your time, your personality, and your spirit. You know, I'm, uh, I know we're going to wrap this up, Bill, by talking about our movie, but Vivica, this is what we love about you. I- I'm guessing when you were a young girl coming up in this business, there, there were really very few, if any, role models that were living the kind of life that you are now and that were able to have optimism about the next decade or two that you obviously still have. Uh, what's it mean to you to be this powerful role model for people who are coming up behind you? Oh, gosh. I, like, I love doing motivational speaking to Generation Next to plan for new chapters because, you know, it's so funny how sometimes you'll see somebody go or leave a comment, oh, you're old. And it's like, you know what? It's a blessing to get older because none of us are promised tomorrow. I mean, we're seeing people pass away left and right. So I always say live your best life, but live it wisely. And especially when it comes to your career, watch how you treat people going up because you may see some of those people on your way down. It's all about chapters and good relationships. You know, Vivian mentioned her book, Every Day I'm Hustling, and it's not just an autobiography, Mark. You read this thing, and it's inspiring. It makes you want to step up and do more in your own life. Vivica, from all of the highs and lows that you talk about in that book, and, and it is a great read, you talk about chapters, putting a period on the end. Let's, let's put a, a, a final chapter on this interview. What have you learned that you can pass along to us about what's really important? What's the moral of the Vivica A. Fox story? Gosh, life is good. You know, I, I, I promise you, it's just a, a blessing to, to get older. And life is good. Enjoy life. And don't, don't be afraid to be kind to others. You know, I just believe in, in, in being kind. I really do. Life is good. Live your best life. Live, love, laugh is my model for 2018. And, and, you know, many people who write their autobiography do it because they think the end is near, but it doesn't sound like that at all with you. Yeah, I basically, for my book, it's a, a motivational memoir more than anything else. Like I said, I share my secrets of success. I know how hard it is to achieve success, but more importantly, how hard it is to maintain success. And I just, you know, I let people kind of get to know me. I've always been a person that I always believed in at first, you know, being so perfect. And I let people know I've been through a lot, trials and tribulations, and I share that journey. And I hope to inspire others. I really do. And boy, is she someone worth knowing. Make sure to check out her film, The Wrong Friend, and the series of wrong movies that will be airing on the Lifetime Movie Network and her book called Every Day I'm Hustling. As you can tell, that's pretty inspiring, too. Our thanks and much success in the future to Vivica A. Fox. Up next, she's taken on the senior living industry to bring healthy aging and whole person wellness to the forefront. Hear what she says is working and what isn't. This is Growing Boulder. Support for Growing Boulder provided by the Masan Spine Institute, where world-renowned minimally invasive techniques lead to fast recovery. The Masan Spine Institute, excellence in spinal surgery. More information at masansi.com. And by Winter Park's new Crosby Wellness Center at the Center for Health and Well-Being. More than just a gym, it features unique medically integrated programs, activities for all ages and skill levels, and free group exercise classes with memberships. More at CrosbyWellnessCenter.org. My guard stood hard when abstract threats to noble tuning Bill Schaefer and Mark Middleton here. You are listening to Growing Bolder. And there's no question that we all want to remain as active and engaged as we can for as long as possible as we get older. And there is a great deal we can do for ourselves to help make that reality. And you know what, Bill? There's also a great deal more that senior living homes and communities can do to encourage and enable active engagement, which is why we're excited to speak to Kay Van Norman. She is president of Brilliant Aging, an internationally known author, writer, and thought leader in healthy aging. She directed Kaiser Institute on Aging for three years. She serves on international boards. She's authored two books, scores of 
of journal articles that challenge individuals, families, and the senior living industry to do more. And we are also proud to call her a contributor to Growing Boulder magazine. Kay Van Norman joins us now, I believe, from her ranch in Montana. Kay, have you had a ride yet this morning? Well, no, we've got about six inches of snow on the ground, so... We <laughs> didn't get out for a ride today. Wow. You, you know, as we mentioned, you are an industry insider. And when you look at the sheer number of people that are turning 65 and 70 and, and 75 every day now, and you look at the state of the senior living industry and the cost of senior care, are you concerned or are you encouraged or a little bit of both? Well, I think that, you know, there there's a lot of, of innovation happening in, in senior living. There's a lot of people talking about thinking about what are the changes that need to happen to really respond to this, this aging demographic and whatnot. But, you know, the, the, the fact of the matter is a very small percentage of people will actually live in senior living. You know, most people will end up aging in place or aging in like a, you know, naturally occurring retirement center, meaning that people just start aging in the, in the neighborhood and then start bringing services into the neighborhood. So there's a lots, of, lots of models that are starting to evolve. But I firmly believe that it's really going to be up to the individual to start making choices and decisions and creating a mindset of aging well in order to... to kind of tamp down the cost and, and all of the, the things that, that can go wrong um, on the aging journey. You know, Kay, you're a, you're a spark plug. You're a, you're a catalyst for a conversation that most people looked the other way from before, but now we're starting to look at square in the eye. One of the ways that you do that is with the Brilliant Aging video series and, and the Vitality Spotlight video series that really are taking off in senior living in-house channels. In your estimation, what does it take to age brilliantly and with vitality? Well, you know, I used to used to always be looking for the the right programs and the you know the right exercises and the right food and all those kinds of things that people tend to get hyper focused on. And it became pretty clear early on that there's that's putting the cart before the horse because you you absolutely have to have a mindset. Of, of aging well before you're ever going to make the choices to age well. And I think the, the first time this really hit me, I mean, I was, I'd written a book on, on exercise for older adults and was involved in a lot of national committees and whatnot. And I was sitting at a National Council on Aging meeting, and they were talking about trying to get the government to spend millions of dollars on removing barriers to physical activity participation for older adults. <clears throat> so they are talking about, cost and transportation and accessibility and all these kinds of things. And as I'm listening to them, I'm thinking about the, you know, scores of senior living communities I'd, I'd been in and worked with and helped create culture of well-being. And I finally stood up and I said, well, now, if those were the true barriers, wouldn't we have 100% participation in senior housing where none of those exist? I mean, the classes and the, the physical activity participation opportunities are right down the hall. They're free, um, you know, accessible, good instruction. And yet the average participation rate is hovers around 20%. And I distinctly remember everyone in the room just kind of looking at me like I was saying strange things and just going back to talking about spending millions of dollars to remove barriers to participation. But for me, that was, the, that was a turning point in my career because I was like, there is something very different going on here. And that's when I really started looking at changing the mindset about aging and how, you know, ageist expectations can literally send you down the path of um, unhealthy aging. Because we all come to crossroads. We all come to forks in the road. And whether you make a conscious decision or not, it's decided. If you just, if you, you know, if you start getting winded when you climb a flight of stairs, and you're 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 at a crossroads, are you going to do something about that? Are you going to inc- increase your cardiovascular function, or are you just going to make your world smaller and more easy to manage? That's a crossroads. And sometimes people don't make a conscious choice, but by not choosing, it sends them down the one direction. 
Well, man, you just kind of hit the nail on the head for what Bill and I love to talk about, and that is changing the culture of aging, changing the the narrative around aging. And I know, Kay, after that story you just related, you wrote a very provocative article in an industry journal that caused a lot of chat, both good and bad, in which you really did take the industry on and said that it wasn't, uh, uh, you know, the problem was that they were offering the wrong kinds of activities, not just creating the right culture for engagement, but, you know, what, what kind of stuff do older people need to do? I mean, it, it seems like it's more about doing things that are meaningful than just keeping busy. Well, that's absolutely it, Mark, because there's a lot of difference between just being busy and being engaged and being passionate about being engaged. And the article you're talking about, I, create, I, I wrote an article called Creating Purpose-Centered Senior Living. And the, the gist of it was that rather than, you know, building senior living communities, with the idea of taking care of older people who need help, if we actually built them with an overarching purpose in mind, you know, so they're taking on some kind of a, a broader community challenge. So you build a community around the idea of, of environmental issues, you know, animal rescue, foster care, whatever, so that there's this overarching purpose. And sure, there would be care if people need it, but that's not the focus of it because it's all about working together to, to solve community issues. And I did get, I mean, I got a lot of really nice um, feedback, but also people, you know, chastising me for suggesting that we use old people and, and all this kind of stuff. And, but that shows you the mindset that somehow we've gotten an idea that as people get older, that suddenly they should just be taken care of and that they, they are not as capable of giving as well as receiving, and that is just the absolute wrong side of the coin. We're talking with Kay Van Norman, who is an international thought leader uh, on healthy aging. And, and Kay, is there, is there a, a short elevator speech? Is there, is there a Kay Van Norman takeaway? I mean, you, you've mentioned it brilliantly. We are mortal beings. We can't escape, uh, you know, the decline, the frailty that, 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 that will occur, but we can minimize it to the very, very end. I mean, from your experience, what is the best strategy for growing older? Well, I think it's, it's absolutely making up your mind to age as well as possible. And I think it's, it's also making sure that you realize that you can age well regardless of challenges. And I, I often say to people, think about what happens in our culture right now with young people with, you know, disabilities. And they're given resources, tools, and encouragement to overcome those challenges and move forward in spite of them. Whereas older adults are often only given tools to just cope with it. It's like, well, here, we'll just make your world smaller and more manageable. And that difference in mindset between overcoming and coping results in profoundly different outcomes. So as far as what's the best way to to age well, you have to make a plan. You actually have to make a vitality plan, just like you'd make a financial plan. I mean, we're all, you know, pretty comfortable with the idea that if you want to have financial security, um, and well-being, you have to make a plan, you have to balance your assets, you have to make regular deposits. And it's the exact same thing for vitality. You have to make a plan. You have to identify and balance the, the vitality assets like, you know, functional ability and whole person wellness and resilience and ageless thinking. And then you have to actually make deposits. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's where people sort of fall off the radar, and that's where I'm really passionate about is that funny little gap between intentions for aging well and actions. Boy, this is such an important conversation. Isn't it interesting, Mark? Nobody ever has it. I mean, it's like we don't want to talk about our finances either. We don't want to talk about (laughs) our health or, or what our future will look like as we age. It is amazing, but it is a conversation once you begin to engage in it. It does get to be far more interesting and far more optimistic. And, you know, when you listen to Kay Van Norman speak, uh, uh, you know, I just think, goodness gracious, if only more people could hear her say what she has been saying for years. And, Kay, we're we're proud to be a very small part in helping create a, a, a a megaphone for you to spread your message because it is real, it is powerful, and it can definitely change your life. She is one of the good guys out there helping create a better future for us all. You can learn more about her and her work at kvannorman.com. Kay, thanks so much.
You know him from the Paddington movies and from Notting Hill, but he's loved for his role in Downton Abbey as Robert the Earl of Grantham. And he's up next on Growing Boulder. Support for Growing Boulder provided by the UCF College of Medicine, where physicians, scientists, and teachers are discovering innovative solutions for today's medical challenges and bringing them to you. Learn more about the college's physician practice at ucfhealth.com. Subscribe to Growing Boulder Magazine, now with more information, articles, and photos than ever before. This quarterly publication is unlike any other, filled with the kind of inspiration you need to live your life to the fullest. More information at growingbolder.com slash subscribe. You're listening to Growing Boulder along with Mark Middleton. I'm Bill Schaefer, and we've got a guest you're going to be especially excited to meet. He's an actor, a writer, a producer, director, a radio star. Yeah, he is one of those creative types, one who seems to be able to go from the theater to TV to the movies with ease. And Mark, it seems he's always working, and in the acting biz, that's not easy to do. And he's been involved in some incredible projects, Bill. You probably saw him in Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. I loved him with Julia Roberts and Hugh Grant in the film Notting Hill. He was back with Hugh Grant for both Paddington movies. But what makes most people perk up is when they learn that he was a mainstay on the wildly popular PBS series Downton Abbey. Over its six seasons on the air, Downton Abbey won dozens of awards all over the world. In fact, he received a Golden Globe and two Emmy nominations for his portrayal of Robert, the Earl of Grantham. Let's say hello to Hugh Bonneville, who we understand is in France today. Hey, Hugh, how are you? I'm very good. What an introduction. Thank you, gentlemen. Well, we appreciate you taking time from uh, your excursion in France. Have you had a glass of wine yet today? Uh, well, <laughs> I've, uh, actually, I'm just, just back from France, so uh, I've uh, I brought my cheese and my garlic and all my cliches with me, and uh, <laughs> it's nice to be home. Hey, before we talk about your most recent project, can we, can we mention Downton Abbey for a second? Because did, did you ever anticipate what a difference that might make for everybody involved and, and how people are just, you know, in, in, uh, fascinated and enamored with the Earl of Grantham? No, no, nobody can ever predict whether a show is going to work. Of course, you hope that it won't be a complete turkey, um, but uh, none of us could have predicted that it would last six seasons. We were contracted uh, for three, and that very rarely happens even in, in, in the UK. And um, so we were thrilled when the show was taken to, to so many people's hearts around the world, and um, no, 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 no less so in, than in America. I mean, the, the response um, from from you guys has been uh, extremely warm and uh, affectionate. And uh, so, well, well we've, just, we've just finished a movie. As you, you may know, we've been filming a, a, a cinema version. And uh, we just finished uh, today, in fact. Um, uh, some of the, I, I finished a week or so ago, but the cast finished today. And uh, that'll be coming to a movie theater next, uh, next September. So there's still an appetite for, for the dear old Crawleys and the people who work with them. And Hugh, one of the best things about Downton Abbey is it let us really know a lot more about you. You are the king of versatility in your career already. You've played, what, everything from psychopaths to poets. You've done comedy and drama. You produce and direct on film and on stage. And you're even about to make an appearance with the iconic Mormon Tabernacle Choir Orchestra and Bells at Temple Square. When most shy away from taking risks, why do you seem to love it? Oh, gosh, well, I don't know that uh, it's so risky. I mean, going, going to work with the uh, Tabernacle Choir, was yes, it was daunting because I realized the scale of it was so enormous. But, uh, but actually, as soon as I touched down in Salt Lake City and the, the warmth of the welcome was quite extraordinary, and it was like, uh, without sounding too sentimental, it was like coming home. I mean, the, uh, uh, the affection that Sutton Foster and I were, were afforded uh, by the, both the choir and the orchestra and the whole community there was, was quite astonishing. And then, uh, you know, performing in the uh, in the theatre there, which is a 21,000-seat theatre, I mean, it is vast, um, that should have been daunting, but in fact, it really felt quite intimate and friendly. So, uh, it, uh, yeah, I mean, it, on paper, it looked scary, but actually, uh, in the event, it was, uh, it was a very happy experience. And what a trip it has been for you, Hugh, because, I mean, from the heights of the Tabernacle Choir in Downton Abbey, is it true that you, in fact, uh, at one point in your in your life, had a job at a law firm cleaning toilets? (laughs) 
Yeah, yeah, that was my uh, that was one of my summer jobs. It didn't last very long. I hastened to add, it wasn't quite my calling. But um, I do remember with my hand down the U bend and uh, some young young lawyer being a little bit sniffy with me. And uh, I remember thinking, I'm going to show you one day, mate. And uh, <laughs> um, but uh, you know, everyone has to. You know, we all got to be we'll keep the wolf in the door, haven't we? So uh, yeah, uh, that was that was one of my little jobs early on. You know, Hugh, our program is called Growing Bolder, and we like to focus on, on people in midlife and beyond who reach this life stage where usually most wind down, but we focus on people who are ramping up. And you're in your mid-50s. What do you see yourself doing into the future? You're so busy as an actor and, and really seem to be coming into your own now. Well, uh, I, I guess... You know, even though I'm in my mid-50s and there have been some life events of late, you know, one loses family, one loses friends uh, who you feel like you, you shouldn't have lost, uh, and it makes you reflect on your own mortality. And and there have been times in my life where I felt I've been like a hamster running on a wheel and chasing the next piece of work. And, you know, and now I'm just taking a little more stock on life. And uh, to be honest, without sounding like I'm sitting in a rocking chair with a, with a, with a very long pipe, I am reflecting on my on my garden a little bit more. I'm having taking great pleasure in in uh, you know planting some new stuff and taking a bit of interest, which I never used to because I was so busy rushing around. Um, and uh, you know, my son's reaching an age where he will be flying the nest soon. I have, I mean, what they call, as you know, the sandwich generation. I have a a father who's 92. He's still going. He still plays the piano. Still has interest in life. But his, his you know, the curtains are gently drawing there and. Uh, so I have, you know, responsibilities and reflections all around my life that mean that I'm perhaps not uh, not as frenetic as I was, but I'm, I'm not slowing down. I'm being more selective, I guess, about the work I, I do, and I'm very lucky to have that choice. But, uh, no, life is good and life is to be cherished, and we, there are so many sort of peculiar dark corners that uh, it's nice to shine some, some, some bright lights when you can. We are talking with and thoroughly enjoying our conversation with Hugh Bonneville. Uh, you know him from many, many projects, uh, probably most recently from Downton Abbey, where he played uh, Robert, the Earl of Grantham. And, you know, it, it's interesting how uh, and where we all end up in, in life, Hugh, because uh, you were raised in a home where, as a surgeon and a nurse, your father and mother dealt with, uh, you know, very serious issues, life and death every single day. You chose a far different career path. What did they think of about uh, what you uh, chose to do? Uh, I, you know, I, I expected them to be uh, horrified. <laughs> um, my father wore his great, great skill and his, uh, and his compassion very lightly. Um, you know, he was a very skilled man as a surgeon, and yes, he dealt with life and death, but he, like many medics, he had a sort of, not a gallows humor, but he, he had a, uh, he, he doffed his cap at uh, the Grim Reaper and, and, uh, you know, said you, you you can have to fight harder than that, mate. And um, he, uh, he 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 took life with a spring in his step, and and he he, he sort of taught taught that to all us three kids to uh, take your work seriously, but your life with a, with a lightness of touch. And um, and so when it came to me confessing that I wanted to do something as daft as uh, tread the boards, uh, I was expecting, well, perhaps foolishly, I was ex- knowing him better as I do now. At the time, I thought he was going to sort of bat me down, but he didn't. He said, look, you know, we're only here once, go for it. And, but be realistic, you know, if it doesn't work out in a couple of years, if, you, if, you're, uh, if you're not making any, getting any breaks, then maybe someone is telling you something. And um, so I took that to heart, and, and luck, I was very, very lucky. I had some breaks early on and, and managed to keep going. But I, I often wonder, had I not had that support from, from my very loving parents, whether I would have had the courage to run off and join the circus. I don't know, but... Um, uh, their support meant a lot to me because they sacrificed a lot for, for us kids, and uh, I'm eternally grateful to them. And what a ride you've had, Hugh. Before you go, if your life was a movie, what would the story be? What lessons can we learn about life from, from the experiences you've had? I think ultimately, and it's something that I share, I share with Julian Fellows, who wrote Downton Abbey, but I think ultimately people try to do good. They may do wrong things, but I think I try and see the good in people, and that's what I was taught try and find the best and then sometimes you'll be abused for it you'll sometimes you'll have the wool pulled over your eyes but i think if we try and seek the best in people uh a lot of times they will deliver um i think if one takes just a negative view of the world we're doomed and uh, i like to i like to try and as i say find some bright lights in the darkness 
Well, you're one of those bright lights, Hugh. Thanks. It's been a delight getting a chance to chat with you. We've been talking with Hugh Bonneville. Hugh, thanks so much. We can't wait to see what projects you're a part of in the future. You know, one thing that we do get asked a lot is, how does someone start growing boulder? Well, the answer is different for every one of us. It depends upon our interest, our passions, our health, and our personal circumstances. You know, you're so right, Mark, but the key is to stop going through the motions. Start living with intent. And the way to do that? Start by going to growingbolder.com. Subscribe to Growing Boulder magazine. Order Mark's book. Pick up a t-shirt, like Growing Boulder on Facebook, and watch Growing Boulder TV. See what a difference it can make in your life to start Growing Boulder. Growing Boulder is a production of Boulder Broadcasting, all rights reserved. This program was recorded live at the studios of WMFE Orlando. It is written and produced by Jill Middleton, Jackie Carlin, Mark Middleton, and Bill Schaefer. Executive producer is Katie Widrick. Technical director is Jason Morrow. Chief audio engineer is Mac Dula. And our most important team member is you. Remember, when it comes to growing bolder, it's not about age. It's about attitude. Stay.